This is episode one of Talk Soccer with Dave Denholm. It is a privilege and a pleasure to be with you for this. And I'm just so happy to be joined by Kendra D. St. Alban. She is the television color analyst for Minnesota United here in MLS. Kendra, thanks so much. I really appreciate you joining me. Well, thanks for having me, Dave. I'm looking forward to it. Kendra, I got, we got to start with us. Uh, I don't know if you even remember, but we did a game for Fox Soccer back in the day. That's where I first met you. And I did some play-by-play. -play. You were brought in as a color analyst. I only think we did like maybe one or two. And I don't, I got to be honest with you. I'm getting old. I don't even remember what game it was, like who played. But I think it was something like CONCACAF, the, like one of the youth tournaments maybe. Does that ring a bell? I think you might be right because I know um, in, earlier in my career, I did quite a few games for Fox, like U17, you know, CONCACAF championships, World Cup qualifiers, U20s, those kinds of things. And I mean, we did, you know, I mean, what did we all throw in there? We had WPS at the oh. time, WUSA, you know, there's so much soccer, especially on Fox. So it's, yeah. you know, it's tough to keep track of what it was, but, you know, I knew our paths would uh, cross again at some time and now it's an MLS. And indeed it is. And I uh, really appreciate you joining me. One of the reasons I want to bring you on, and again, I'm not, I don't want to embarrass you or anything, but uh, I happen to have strong opinions being in sports talk radio myself for 30 years in LA or almost 20 years in LA, but, and I know you did sports talk in the past and opinions matter in that uh, genre. I happen to think you're the best in the business. So that's why I wanted to start with you. And, well, you know, thank I, you. yeah, I mean, I, I really appreciate and admire your style. We'll get to that in just a moment, though. But let's take it back. Where did soccer start for you? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, playing soccer started for me when I was maybe, I don't know, like 10 or 12, which nowadays is like ancient, right? <laughs> I mean, should have been on your third travel team by then. Right? Yeah, exactly. If you haven't specialized by the time you're five, you know, which sport you want to do and, and doing private training sessions, you're behind the eight ball. But um, my parents kind of threw me into everything and, and soccer was the one that stuck. I mean, I played all sports growing up, but soccer was the passion. And I think part of it is just, we all see it. The camaraderie happens and it's it's like a true team sport. I love mm -hmm. the fluid nature of it, the free thinking nature of it, the creativity of it, um, rather than, you know, set plays per se, like basketball and football and things. And then um, just went to college, played soccer at the University of Minnesota, got a broadcast, you know, journalism degree and um, was in sports broadcasting in general, right? I mean, I worked for ESPN radio affiliates in Milwaukee and Arizona and then somehow got into soccer broadcasting. Someone was like, hey, you should do a, a women's soccer game for the Big Ten Network because, you know, those networks were just starting to be created. And, you know, sort of the rest is history. I mean, like we all know in this business, you just have to take those opportunities and run with them and knock them out of the park. And hopefully you'll get more opportunities. And that's sort of what, what has happened. And now I've sort of found my niche in soccer. I love all sports still. My husband and I are massive sports fans. We watch everything, mm -hmm. but um, soccer is what has stuck for me. And it's, it's been an absolute blast. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I totally understand. Uh, I, I got around to soccer late in life, so to speak, when the world cup came here in 94, I was already mid twenties. And I was going to say, were you seven? Yeah. Right. <laughs> late uh, in life. <laughs> mid, mid twenties. Uh, you know, we grew up in a time and you're way younger than me, but I grew up in a time where you kind of were supposed to hate soccer mm -hmm. just for, you didn't know why, but it was just like, we all hate soccer here in America for some reason. Yeah. And it it just, wasn't one of the four major sports. Right. No, and it so, didn't make any sense to me after a while, yes, you know, like yeah, I, I yeah. bought into it when I was 10, I still played, <laughs> everybody played soccer. That was kind of when it 
like late seventies, early eighties, when things really started booming. Like I said, you were way beyond or way after that, but so it's just interesting to see a whole, like the generations after me who just loved the game, you know, and just didn't have to worry about that. Kind yes. Of thing. And now yes. it's like more mainstream than we could even, you and I could ever hope, frankly, this is how we, what we do for a living, which is great. Take me back though, to when you started and were you the kind of, were you, you mentioned the fluidity of the game that you love, the thinking portion of it. You're a very smart analyst. So that makes sense. You know, maybe when you even started, but were you like a rough and tumble player to start, like uh, before you really get going, you know, and maybe take it to the next level and things, or were you more of a finesse kind of a score goals early and kind of felt like you were like the one who maybe stood out at an early age? You know, my, my style was always the assist. I was the passer. You know, I yeah. found myself as, you know, now what we call, and everybody knew number 10 growing up, but no one really talked about eights and sixes and sevens and 11s. And I still don't you know, know a lot of those. I know, I don't I'm either. You know, it's, it's kind of like when I started covering baseball and I had to write, you know, the positions down on a diagram on my score <laughs> sheet to start to figure out whose position was what number. But I'm the same way. You know, I'm still very kind of old school in that sense is that I just call people their positions rather yeah. than necessarily numbers but I'd say I was more of the number 10 or a number eight what mm -hmm. we call today where you know a box-to-box -box type of a midfielder I loved setting people up I loved having that pass that broke things through broke things down switching the fields but I also loved playing defense I loved regaining possession I loved you know playing both ways and um I moved around in my career. I would say I was a center midfielder most of my club career, but then, you know, when you get to college, you just want to get on the field. You don't care where anybody puts you. And as a freshman, um, I played center back. It was mm -hmm. and actually my freshman year. I played at Wisconsin. I was a badger my freshman year and then transferred, but um, it was me and another uh, freshman that were the two center backs, the starting center backs on the team. And, oh. and I loved that aspect too, because again, you could kind of read the play. You could, sniff things out. You know, I always kind of always knew what the other team was doing, having been on the other side of things, playing a midfield role, and you could still find the pass that would connect, you know, the midfield to the attack. So that was my style. Um, I wasn't a massive goal scorer. Um, I was more of a passer and um, I just loved the team aspect of that. I mean, it's, when you're in that position and you like that style, there's nothing better than setting up your teammates to score. It's, it's like you've scored a goal. You feel that same sort of elation and, and um, celebration. And I had such an awesome high school team and club team growing up. And I'm still very dear friends with a lot of them today. Well, yeah, that's uh, something I wanted to mention because uh, I'm not a journalist. I'm an entertainer. That's uh, I've never been a journalist <laughs> in my sports, but I tried to dig in a little bit for this. And did I hear something correctly about you uh, being Minnesota's Miss Miss Soccer there when you were yes. in high school? That's, yes. That's something we got to go back to because that's not anything to gloss over there, Kendra. That's pretty yeah. darn good. Yeah, you know, I was. Um, I was Miss Soccer in high school. Which I know is, you're modest because I can tell yes. you don't really know, but <laughs> this is pretty cool. Yeah, no, and you know what? I, I, And I'm not just saying this, but going back to the concept of the team sport, like if I hadn't had the team that I had, and, um, you know, we were all just a great group of people with a fantastic coach. Now, that was an aside, that was, which when I played, you know, high school is still a big thing. It was yeah. nowadays, a lot of clubs don't even allow you to play high school soccer or the way the seasons fall, um, which I think is an absolute travesty because it's a different group of friends. It's a different group of people. And um, I had, you know, a fantastic time. But yes, it was Miss Soccer in high school and it was, um, it was a fabulous ride and I enjoyed every second of it. That's awesome. That really is so cool. You know, and cause I've talked with like Jordan Harvey, he was like the Gatorade player <laughs> of the year in America and things. And mm -hmm. you, 
that's nothing to gloss over. That's impressive that you, you know, you're picked like that because you certainly stood out, you know, and it makes an impact when there's so many great players in every state, you know, certainly when you're growing up, I'm sure you felt that way too, but then take us through like a little bit. How did the college career go? Like, how did you, I know you, you know, went to Minnesota, you're from that area. Certainly that had to be a huge step for you, but how did, how did your career go from that point? So I kind of had an up and down career um, in college. And I think it's a little bit tricky because, you know, you have this goal that you've worked for essentially your whole life, you know, when it comes to soccer, I didn't even look at the educational aspect (laughs) of the schools, which Minnesota is a great school. And so is Wisconsin, which is where I started. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't anything bad about the educational perspective, but I was solely focused on soccer. And um, so I was recruited by both schools and I went, took a couple visits, you know, to other places um, in different parts of the country, but decided I wanted to stay a little closer to home. My freshman year, I did go to Wisconsin, to the University of Wisconsin. As I said, I was a Badger and Dean Durst was the coach at the time who has been in the national, you know, team mix for some of the youth national teams and things like that. And um, I had a, a, a really great freshman experience as far as soccer and school goes. Um, the other freshman and I that played center back, we started and played, we played the most on the team. Um, we were both voted MVP that year of the team as freshmen, which was like crazy because you never have that expectation. Um, the team was okay. And I was used to playing on winning teams, which happens a lot when Mm. you go from high school and club to college, it doesn't always continue on to the pros exactly exactly pros the same thing you know probably even more so in the pros i mean because in college a lot of the best players in the country go to the uncs and the stanfords and they do continue (laughs) on to win they may not play a lot their freshman season because it's they're so good but the teams are so good so i had a great career there i only played there one semester and then i actually transferred back to minnesota and that was more of like a personal reason um i just needed to be closer to home um I have some, I had some doctors here that like, I just had some, some situations at Wisconsin, no fault of the school or the soccer program that medically had some issues and felt like I wasn't getting the best care. And so I transferred back to Minnesota where I could be close to my doctor that I had um, growing up. And, um, you know, it was one of those things and we can probably all talk about this. If you've played college soccer, the whole transfer, the rules, I I went through the rigmarole to and not Um, I was able to play right away. I got a medical, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what do you call that exception from the NCAA. So I didn't have to sit out. And the coach from Minnesota was like, yes, 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 please come back. You know, we want you here. They recruited me. It's kind of a hometown kid. And I moved all my stuff home and December 27th, the head coach from Minnesota calls me and tells me she's leaving and going to Georgia. (laughs) And you're just like, Oh, dang, you know, exactly. And those are the things that people don't, I mean, we know it, but we don't really care frankly as no. fans. and that's the sad part because the college, yes. you know you're the one living it yes yes and, we don't- and i think it's coming to light more now with the transfer rules yeah. that coaches can get up and pick and move with no penalty oh. and and then these players are kind of stuck these student athletes so yeah. anyways um i played a few years at minnesota and um, i actually took a year off in there just like felt like i needed a break and you know the grind of my career and and playing since you're young and just the again, this is something you've dreamed of your whole life. And then maybe when you get there, it's not exactly what you expected and just needed a reset and a refresh. And I took a semester off and then came back and finished. And technically I have one year of eligibility yet, Uh, but you know what? I I pull my hammy every time I play in a staff game. So, so I don't think I'm going to be stepping on the field anytime soon at 40. Nice. Nice. Well, Hey, I don't even bother with those games. I watch them <laughs> from the sides. When when LAFC goes at it, John Thorrington comes out. I mean, these guys, like they, they play coaches versus everybody else. It is a bloodbath. I don't even. Oh, my gosh. 
At least you know it's going to be clean soccer. You know, it's, it's some of those rec leagues well, and the co-eds and the men's leagues I've played in. You're like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're afraid your Achilles is going to get clipped. You talk about the doctor. Yeah, you're going to need some uh, serious <laughs> exactly. medical help. But I think you do bring up an interesting point in that sense that uh, taking the year off and, we, you know, you probably weren't really thinking pro at that point. You're just thinking about your life and being yes. you know, happy, making sure yes. you can get through your college experience the best way possible, whatever that ends up being. I think so many kids are just so laser focused and so worried about the future in a weird way. Like, cause I like to talk about it from our career, a career standpoint, Kendra, and you can certainly speak to this, the, the path in sports journalism, if you're really any career or not, it's not going to look like what you think it's going to look like. Right? Never, never. And, and that's such, such a great point that you bring up, but you're in college doing that, but that, that lasts your whole life nowadays, really. There's no going to the factory and working 50 years like my dad did, you know, and just one job and working your way up there if you want. It's it's a grind and it's going to mm -hmm. be like that for the rest of your life, especially in the careers we've chosen realistically. Yes. And where you start is never where you're going to end. But you yeah. know, the other lesson I really learned um, from my college experience was that it's okay to take time and reset. You know what I mean? Like, I think everyone too, there's this fear of just like, if you don't specialize yeah. when you're 10, that you're going to be behind and whatever happens is what is meant to be. And it, and if you work hard enough, it will, I know it sounds so cliche, but if you work hard enough, it will come to be. And that's sure. kind of how I felt like it was, it was okay to make the decision to transfer. It was okay to make the decision to take a semester off and kind of refocus myself. And I think that is the same is true for the rest of life because you know, and, it, you know, not to, we're not trying to get super deep here, but I do think there are a lot of life lessons learned and just, you know, and, and just being okay with that and confident in what you're doing, because it will all work out. And when I went to college, I had no clue what I wanted to be from a, a professional standpoint, zero. Sure. I got to my junior year and they're like, well, for you to be eligible, you have to declare a major. And I was like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> I have to figure that out. Otherwise I can't play soccer. And, and then I kind of got into that career path of sports journalism because I love sports so much. And mm -hmm. I've been very fortunate and lucky to do what I love as work, work, yeah, you know? Yeah. And but that's so interesting though, because honestly, I did know, I, mm -hmm. I, had, I worked at a radio station when I was 16. We had one in my high school and I kind of fell in love with it. But that doesn't, I mean, it, that doesn't change the way that the fact it's going to be a grind. And frankly, I mean, I knew then, but I could have ended up doing something else and been perfectly happy too. You know, like you didn't know then necessarily. I happened to know when I was sick, but it, it could have just all been, it worked out differently anyway. It's, I think everybody puts so much pressure on, I mean, we see that a lot in sports as you're talking about, especially with the youth that I try to tell parents all the time, like they'll find you. Yes. If your, if your kid is good enough, they'll find you. There's plenty of opportunities out there. They need you just as badly as you need them. If it's college or scholarships or whatever, if they're good enough, they'll find you. And if they don't happen to be good enough there, you know, Chris Wondolowski went to Chico state, a perfectly fine school, but maybe not Stanford or in terms of college, you know, like the UNC's or the Virginia's he did all right. So they'll find you. The pros will certainly find you as you know, in, in this day and age. What about that start though, in, in radio for you? And uh, cause I love it. Certainly that also kind of appeals to me, your history. When I, when I think of what you've gone through and where your career has come, I, I kind of am very interested in that. Talk a little bit about how your career developed to where it is now. Well, I, you know, because I just loved sports and was passionate about sports, I didn't care what I was doing. And, and I have probably a little bit different path than some others because 
I graduated in 2003 in May and I got married in July of 2003. <laughs> and so a lot of people probably aren't on that same path. And my husband was already working in Milwaukee. And so mm. he already had a job there. He had already graduated. And so I knew that was where I needed to be, you know, and I didn't have any internships because I had so many credits that I was trying to make up and graduate on time because I had taken the semester off. Sure. So I was taking, you know, 18 credits in season, 20 credits in the spring, 20 credits of summer school, <laughs> all this just to get, catch back up again and, and make sure that I could get married and move to Milwaukee with my husband. So that path is a little bit different. So when I got to Milwaukee is where my first market was, I literally just you know, wrote every radio station, called every television station, um, you know, writing. I didn't care what I did. I just wanted to be in sports. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, again, to the point of just, you never know where you're going to end up and you just take those experiences and you, you know, combine them all. And, and I, I started working for um, what was at the time ESPN 1510 uh, radio station mm -hmm. and a gentleman named Craig Carmson had just bought the radio station. And this was, this was, a double wide trailer in the parking lot of a Walmart with carpet <laughs> on the walls and a bee, a bee infestation. Wow. Like, and this, you know, and then he moved I the station that. down. I love, oh I love my gosh. that, by the way. Yes. And I was covering the Milwaukee wave, you know? So if anybody knows what the Milwaukee wave is, is indoor soccer. And that's what Craig said to me. I know I came in as this young, young at the time, like 23 and um, he hired me on a part-time basis and I had like an old school tape recorder, you know, and I'd go into the Milwaukee wave locker room and I'd watch the games and I knew the game and Keith Tozer was the head coach. And I think he oh, still yeah. was the head coach there and, or part of the club. And um, I would go back to the double wide trailer at midnight and cut up the tape so they could use it for sports center updates the next day. And, and then um, from there, and at the same time, I was working in a podiatry office doing dictation. So if anybody knows what that is, you know, the doctor talks in a microphone and says, sure. hey, this is what well, I was really going to know that nowadays, really. No, no, no. It I doesn't remember. Even, now, now there's like Siri and you just talk it and, yeah. it and it puts it in for you. But and I would sit there and I would type. But I mean, I told the college classes the other day, like the, so I did that part time a couple days a week for half days, mostly because I just wanted to be busy. I don't like sitting around. And then the other time I would, you know, cover the Milwaukee wave, which they didn't play a lot at the time. And um, I mean, but like, I was like, you know, people would come in like older people and get their toenails cut. I have sometimes have to like clean the rooms and vacuum up <laughs> toenails. And like, this isn't all like a glorious thing. You know, this is just, you're just part of the grind. You're just yeah. working your tail off. And then gradually all of a sudden Craig was like, Hey, I want you to be the Bucks and Brewers beat reporter. And the beat reporter means, you know, you cover those teams like in depth. And so all of a sudden there was my next job and I was doing radio advertising sales during the day from like mm -hmm. 8 a.m. to like noon. I would do sports and updates on the air from noon to three. And then I would go straight to batting practice or shoot around or the game. And, you know, it. I love it. You know, you're you got, working. You got to hustle. You're right. I mean, yeah, you got to hustle. And it's like you're took, on the field, you know, you yes. got to do it. And you take all those that. experiences yeah. and you just, you know, you add it in. And it was, I would go to the library and check out books on, you know, football positions. Cause I, I loved football, but I didn't know what a guard and a tackle and a this and a that. <laughs> and, you know, that was, that was just the grind. And fortunately I loved um, what I did. So I was okay with it. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, I, similar stories in the sense that I'm from Cleveland. So we know Keith Tozer, first of all, we know Milwaukee wave cause we were the Cleveland force back when I was there in Cleveland crunch. So we love our indoor soccer here too. And that uh, is awesome. Craig Karmazin, by the way, a big, yes. big, big name in Cleveland. So Cleveland, yes. Brands, yeah. Yes, and that was his next market. 
Yeah, that's where I started out. I got, I was sleeping in my car, working a regular full-time job uh, that I didn't really like, and then sleeping in my car coming uh, after working overnights to do a morning Saturday show in Cleveland on the radio to do sports, you know, and sleeping for like three hours. And <laughs> I once fell asleep on the air during a commercial break and uh, the, the, I, the, the board op wasn't really paying attention. So we come out of the break, the music, I'm still dead asleep because I worked the whole overnight. He's banging on the glass, you know, like because the segment's about, oh. you got to do it, you know? And that's, oh, absolutely. Like in sports, certainly. Yes. Everybody, you know, puts in all yes. the effort. And we yes. know that. That's I think in some ways, look, I am not a good athlete. I wasn't a terrible athlete. I knew how to play, but I couldn't do it. But I kind of appreciate the hard work for a sport, you know, for someone to make it to the top level. It's never, you know, it's much like Hollywood. There's no such thing as an overnight success in sports or anywhere else. I mean, you can have all the talent in the world. You still have to work at it and not get injured and do all that to get recover from injuries and all that. So I appreciate your story. Definitely. You know, you put in the work. Speaking of your work, I do want to talk a little bit about that. I do. I said it earlier. I believe you're the best in the business uh, nationally or otherwise. I know you do a lot of the local now too, with you know, certainly with Minnesota United. How do you approach being an analyst? You know, rather than I'm a, from the play-by-play perspective, how do you approach being an analyst in Kindred going into a game? What are you trying to get across to the fans as you approach a, a particular broadcast? You know, I think the biggest thing, and I say this a lot in other conversations that I've had, especially with college students, because everybody wants like, like the answer for what, what works. And first of all, you have to find what works for you. And you know that as a play-by-play, and I know that as an analyst, everybody has a different way of researching, of studying, of writing down information, of doing their boards, of going about their business and their daily routines. And it's been this way. And I don't know how I came about that because when I started the Big Ten Network stuff, I had never done television for a, a soccer game before. And I think I just approached it in the sense that like when I'm sitting on the couch with my husband watching a game, he played at IU when I'm sitting on the couch, you know, watching a match and we're chatting about it. That's how I approach it as an analyst, you know, and his whole family played soccer, you know, division one or otherwise college. And so it's like when we get together and you're just talking soccer and I try to really convey that. And I got great advice from JP Della Camera before I did my first world cup in 2015 saying, you know, you're trying to educate the viewers, but also not make them feel like they're being taught Mm -hmm. because you have some that are watching soccer that, you know, are diehard fans, love it, know it inside out, everything. And then you have others that are just tuning in for the first time. So how do you find that happy medium? And the other piece of advice is the why you want to tell people why things are happening. And your job is to tell people what is happening. See, But that's why you're the best though. And and I don't, I don't say that lightly because you do tell us why. And I don't think there's quite enough. I think we've overcorrected in American soccer for a long time. Now, maybe hopefully that we're coming out of that, but we, we don't tell people enough of the X's and O's for lack of a better sports cliche of what's really going on. Like we, I think we held hands with these, with the, the audience too long, Kendra. And I, you never did that, frankly. I mean, yeah, I understand you took that advice and it's not like you're talking over people necessarily, but you made it relatable, but you told us what was going on and what we're not seeing that you are. And honestly, we are still missing a little bit of that, I think. Do you, do you sense that or is it getting better in your perspective? I know you have to step back a little bit from your own work maybe, but in terms of seeing other people, are we, are we still babying the audience too much? I think some of it is just about, you know, trying to strike the right balance and a huge piece of it. And correct me if I'm wrong. Do you do the radio um, broadcast by yourself? 
Yes, I don't both? have an analyst. Okay, uh, so that's a completely different animal, right? And then radio is a whole other animal to yeah, begin with of yeah, how much detail. I'm focusing on TV for it because that's pretty much where you spend most of your- Right, exactly. Like but how you but hear the, it, but- But so much of it is about the chemistry you have with your broadcast yeah. partner too and being able to um, read each other, set each other up in the right way and knowing when to step back. And I try to find a balance too, as well about letting the game breathe, you know, cause could you analyze every point that happens in a soccer match? Yeah, you probably could. You could say something about everything. Right. And there's a reason why Cal, you know, has like a bruise on his arm. Cause how many, well, before we had plexiglass in between us, you yeah. know, cause I would smack him in the <laughs> arm when something would happen, but I wouldn't necessarily comment on it. I'm like sure, flailing sure. my arms around and things. So I think it's, it's, it's trying to strike the right balance and you just, you never want to sound like you act like, you know, everything cause you don't, mm -hmm. and you're trying to find the, the, the balance with the viewers and, and who's watching and who's tuning in. But I truly have always taken the approach that whatever my husband and I are watching on television, when we are watching a game and we are chatting about breaking something down or the pass that should have been made, what's wrong with the spacing, who's not pushing up, you know, and, and the second the game is over, I'm talking to my husband about the Minnesota United game. If he's not at the game, he's watching yeah. the game and he's wanting to break everything down with me. And a lot of times he points out things that I miss. So um, I, I agree with you that I think the country is learning. And I don't mean that like in a derogatory way, just we're learning uh, we're inviting more and more people into the soccer viewership sure. and we have to welcome those people and um, educate them. But at the same time, you know, how many times have you heard a person that you've been in soccer for how long now, but you still learn something? Oh yeah. No, it's absolutely else. true. There is yeah. a balance. I just don't think, I think for a while we were overcompensating in the sense that I don't hear NFL analysts break yeah. it down like that for the average, you got to catch up if you're a fan. Yes. You know, yep. and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, frankly. You know, we don't want to like leave people behind. Certainly we're no. looking for every fan we can get in American soccer. And I'm, I've been a big proponent of that for many years, but I think we're at a time where your style is perfect, where you're not leaving anybody behind, but you know, you just, you're for, you can appeal to people with the way, with all spec, you know, all people of the spectrum of how, where their fandom is. And I think that's so crucial because we don't want to leave people behind who are new, but we also don't want to make it so dumbed down for yes. people that, and I thought for a long time, we kind of overcompensated with that, but I love that we're moving for forward from that. And that's really what I appreciated from your work, honestly, from day one. And uh, I watch a lot of Minnesota United, just honestly, because you, nothing, no, nothing against Cal, great guy. Cal, Cal <laughs> yes. Williams is a great play by play guy. Don't get me wrong. And I can certainly learn a lot from him, but I do appreciate your work. I really do. And it's uh, I think that's a good, good sign for where we're going. I got to ask you about this in a sense of, uh, frankly, I, I don't think it matters that much, to be perfectly honest, in the sense of the, you know, you're being a woman and kind of mm -hmm. breaking through in a, in a field mm -hmm. that wasn't, you know, uh, I, I really don't. I just think you're just fantastic. And, you know, the people who are good are going to make it no matter what, frankly. And But it is about opportunity. And maybe that's the good thing that you didn't really necessarily have that many. You managed to, you know, take advantage of one. Uh, but is it getting better in your eyes? Do we still have a long way to go? I mean, I want to ask you because you've been there since the, you know, the beginning essentially in terms of where American soccer is going with female analysts and referees in the men's game and coaches now. And that's awesome. Do we still have a long way to go? I wouldn't say we have a long way to go. Um, and even just as a reporter in the business of covering sports, you know, I mean, we have so many fantastic women that have paved the way and yeah. kind of endured some tricky tough times in locker rooms you know hearkening back to baseball and, and the nba and things like that and um i i will say this from a soccer perspective i've because women's soccer and men's soccer is literally identical not like any yes, other sport exactly. in that regard 
same field, same ball, same rules, you know, depending on the league and whatnot, but that I always wondered, is it, does do people think my brain works slower and that I can't analyze a men's game like I can analyze a women's game. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and you always want, because why aren't there more women? Or I, I don't know if you know who Dean, Dean Linky is. He's like the play-by-play guy for everything Big Ten Network, right? Mm-hmm. He does all the sports. And that's where I did my first Big Ten games was with Dean. And we still chat. And I give him a hard time every time there's a man analyzing a woman's college game mm-hmm. on the Big Ten Network, because I know there are so many incredibly talented women out there that could break down the women's game. Or cross, cross, crossover, why aren't there more women doing the men's games on mm-hmm. the Big Ten Network? You know, I think it should be the best person for the job, bar none, hands down, man or woman, either either sport, you know, sure. any sport, either league, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's getting better. I mean, Jordan Angeli in um, Columbus, yeah. uh, Daniel Slayton in San Jose. I mean, talk about the rest. Allie Wagner, you know, Fox. And she's, you know, she was part of the Men's World Cup um, coverage in Russia. So I just think that it's getting better and we're getting there. But um, why it's taken this so long is a little bit of a, a always sure. a conundrum, but all you can do is prove that you deserve to be there, take that opportunity and absolutely knock it out of the park and, and go in like, you know, you deserve to be yeah. there. Yeah. And we tell ourselves that and sometimes that's hard, but you have to go in saying I'm, I'm in this position for a reason and I know my stuff. And then you just go in and, and you do you, and that's all you can ask. Yeah. It's just so annoying when I hear people still like, Oh, they got that, you know, she's doing it. Cause she, it's like, that just never even cried. Like I watched the, the game with Tori Penso refereeing mm. in MLS Love uh, her. You know, recently, you know, she's been getting more games. I just don't care like that. She's a woman doing it. She's a good referee. Like, I mean, it's great that she gets the opportunity finally, but it's she's re- earned it. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to get like, get to the point where we don't yes. like, don't make a, like, it's ridiculous. Like why people would even think that's a big deal in the sense of she's earned it. So she's one of the best referees. <laughs> just kidding. That's a great point though. Is just where, you know, I think any woman that gets asked about it, like Beth Mowens is a great example, right. For yeah. ESPN and doing college football and, and doing NFL and Kate Scott, you know, in the Bay area has done, you know, 49ers and golden state warriors. And she's fantastic. Worked with her at PAC 12, but like the day that it's going to be great is when it's not a story anymore great. is, and we, we, we all appreciate the stories that are done and, and chatting about it and first mm-hmm. opportunities and paving the way and all that. Like you're never going to shy away from Absolutely. that because it's great for other, that's how you get to that ladies. point. Yeah. That's how you yeah, get there's to young ladies out there that, that want to do what we do, but the day it's going to be awesome is that when it's not even a story anymore, because it's just second eight, this is just how it is. And yeah. I think, um, you know, kudos to all the women that have come before me and other in other aspects of sports and really paved the way. Yeah, I, that's where we have to get to where it doesn't matter, but we still need those opportunities. Like we still we're not there. Bottom line, yep. I guess I yep. answered the question I asked you, and I, but <laughs> it, we're not there yet. So that's what still work to be done. But it is the work is getting done by by you and the, the women who are doing that. Do you remember any like a, a female broadcaster maybe that stuck out for you back in uh, going back in the day? Because I remember like Phyllis George when I was growing up yeah. and she was awesome, you know, for yep. all the CBS stuff that I used to watch as a kid. And I mean, that's going back a, a, a long way, but do you, does anybody stand out that uh, you're impressed with or have been in the, in the past? 
Well, I think um, the one that stands out the most to me is Michelle Tafoya. And mm. I know she's a sideline reporter, but she just goes about everything the right way. And yeah. if you talk to anybody about her, she's prepared. She knows her stuff. She's kind to everybody, which I think in this business, people, you know, don't ever underestimate that. Anybody on the crew from top to bottom, left to right, is just the appreciation that you have for, for people that you work with. And she was a student from the U of M and one of my professors knew her and I shot her an email once in college and she responded like that. And I think, you know, I've worked with so many fabulous women that are play by play and that I respect in this industry immensely. Mm -hmm. And um, it's all about, they go about their stuff the right way. They are professional um, from beat writers when I covered, you know, baseball and, and basketball to television, to radio just, um, but Michelle Tafoya was probably the first one that I had interaction with. And I know she's a sideline reporter, which I don't want to say just sideline because she works her tail off for mm -hmm. the little amount of time that she gets airtime, but she does everything the right way. And I really respect that. That's awesome. That is great. Not to take it to a negative note to wrap it up. It's more of a, let's get to the, uh, the heart of this for the sport itself. Kendra, what might have to change about soccer in your mind? What, what do we need to work on in terms of the game itself right now? Well, you know, I think for me from not even necessarily on the pitch, what needs to change, but I think the bigger thing for people, especially in the United States is understanding it. This is such a wonky sport in the sense that international schedules, transfer windows, <laughs> different leagues, national yep. teams, friendlies. I mean, I was trying to explain that to my neighbor the other day. He was a huge sports fan, but I was trying to explain to him that there's a, there's a tournament during the season called CCL. And then there's a <laughs> tournament during the season. Oh. That's the U S open cup. So I think somehow we need to not, we don't need to change the sport, but we need to maybe change how we convey to people that are trying to follow the sport. Yeah. What's actually going on because it's unlike anything else in America where you just trade someone and Oh, here they are. You know I mean? Mm -hmm. That's, it's just so different. So I think sometimes maybe we have to try to simplify it. Yeah. Um, and so we can, uh, again, make, get more people involved in understanding how awesome this sport is and that it is really the most popular, best sport in the world. And, um, you know, we got to quit calling the Super Bowl the biggest sporting yeah. event. And Amen. <laughs> quit calling them world champions because yeah. they're not. And, um, you know, just that kind of stuff where like, I'm going to hammer that one home and defend my sport till, till the end, because I think that soccer truly is a uniting, unique um, aspect. And uh, I love that about the game. Oh, perfect way to end that. That is great. You took that uh, horrible negative question and turned it into the positive that we need and uh, going forward with the sport that we all love. Uh, Kendra, great work. I love your work. Keep it up. Uh, really just an honor to have you as the first guest here of Talk Soccer with Dave Dunno. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it so much. Have a great rest of your day. You too.